Hey, how's it going, Universe? Welcome to another episode of Zoobox Goes to the Movies. This week, I'm again joined by Big Paul. What's going on? <coughs> Cheers. We're going to be talking about the recently released 2021 feature, The White Tiger, directed by Ramin Bonrani. Uh, he adapted this for screen from a book of the same name by Arvind Adiga. It stars um, Adarsh Gurav, Rakmo Rao, Priyanka Chopra, Vedant Sina, and other names that uh, I'm not pronouncing right. Uh, the plot synopsis logline here is an ambitious Indian driver uses his wit and cunning to escape from poverty and rise to the top, an epic journey based on the New York Times bestseller. So, here we are to talk about lifestyles that we know nothing about. <laughs> well, I, uh, like as a tourist, I occasionally... I uh, I got to see some of that. Actually, yeah. Why don't you talk about it? so? So Paul has actually actually does have a little bit of experience, and and this was his choice, so he can explain himself. Thank you, thank you. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's a benefit of being a regular, right? So I don't have to yeah. put a comment in the YouTube's to do the next one. I can just uh, can just text you. But, hey, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, um, I I want to check this out. So I lived in in Oman um for about seven months and. Um, huge uh, Indian expat community out there. It does a lot of the labor and service industry uh, work out there. Uh, and uh, where I lived out there, there's uh, laborers uh, out there primarily from you know, Sri Lanka and you know India. Uh, you know they go out there in these uh, like hideous blue or green suits. Like you knew they were uh, city workers if they're in the blue suits. They're doing the landscaping if they're in the green suits. Uh, they go out there like you know 12 to 15 hour days, and then they all go live in the um, uh, parking garage in the apartment where I lived and then what they did all night to make extra money um, was to you know offer to wash your car and whatnot so um, and we'll get to it later on but like throughout the movie you know the scene where he lived in that parking garage that was kind of like eerily like uh, like uh, familiar with me because every time I'd go in you know I'd yeah. come up, wash your car sir blah blah and go in and uh, well you know me for a long time I can't just not you know talk look around see yeah. what's happening you know and like observe and stuff and and just see like this whole like a uh, underworld uh labor world like uh living right beneath me like they've been working all day out and like you know the oman heat the omani heat and then trying to like wash all these cars uh, for people living in this complex you know yeah like, included so i just remember that that was just like one of the big takeaways just like whew, it's just uh you know just a rough just rough life you got people out there so but yeah no um but i uh overall though like uh you want to get into like uh initial reactions or yeah let's do that actually just so everybody knows like this is a newer movie often we do older movies so i don't feel the need to like be explicit about this but we're gonna spoil the fuck out of this movie we're gonna talk about everything it's gonna we're gonna go all over the place as per usual and uh so if you haven't seen it yet it is currently on netflix and just came out a couple weeks ago so you go check it out there and then you come back because of course you're gonna come back. It's a zoo box, baby. You're gonna come back all the time. Two hundred and seventy-one subs strong. We lost a sub the other day. I'm gonna blame my brother Daniel for his violent <laughs> rhetoric. <laughs> He's also a hologram. So. <laughs> what is rape, though? Right, guys. 
<laughs> but before we talk about the movie, what you drinking, buddy? Man, I am uh, going steady with uh, Teeling. Ooh, some Teeling. Yeah. I uh, treated I treated myself. I had this one time before. I think it's when we did the Fight Club episode, and we talked for almost three hours. And I was <laughs> I could barely talk by the end of it. I was slurring my words because it's fifty uh, percent alcohol by volume. Uh, the seventeen seventy six Rye. Yeah, I always forget to look that one up. Yeah, James E. Pepper. It is very solid. It's dangerously smooth. Because usually, like, you know, we've had some rise. We had Whistle Pig. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit higher. It's like 48%. But you could feel the bite a little bit. It slows you yeah. down kind of naturally. The spices mm-hmm. and stuff slows you down. This is like fucking butter. And it's 50%. <laughs> so I that's why I got so trashed. That's how we <laughs> talked about Fight Club. <laughs> So I gotta pace myself. I got even. I got brought a bottle of water. Responsible adult. Yes, sir. Um, but yeah, that's what we're drinking tonight. So if you guys are listening to this uh, at nighttime, or if you're a fucking, you know, if you're one of those types during the daytime, grab yourself a drink and settle in as we talk about the life and times of Indians in the, uh, I guess, circa 2008. Yep. So you didn't read the book. You didn't. Uh, you didn't? Did you just find out about this because of Netflix? Was it on Netflix and you saw a preview, or what's the deal? No, no, absolutely. So I uh, didn't read the book, but I was just scrolling through uh, Netflix and whatnot, and I just saw the uh, uh, the trailer for it. Cause, you know, if you stay on a frame, uh, yeah, the trailer starts playing, and I saw that and I was just immediately uh, intrigued uh, by the trailer, and I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's give it a go. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I just fired off, and the rest, you know text you up and uh, watched it a couple times since I told you it. Yeah, uh, I've wa- I watched it twice myself. I, li- I actually listened to the audiobook over the week because we had some extra time. We were supposed to do this last week, but we just couldn't. So I had extra time, so I decided to listen to the audiobook. If you guys don't know, what the, uh, there's, there's an app or a service called Hoopla or Canopy. If you have a library card, uh, it's basically a, a virtual library, and they have the audiobook on there. I was like, sweet! Don't have to buy it. Don't have to find it other ways. Um, Like, you know, so I was able to very easily listen to it, put that thing on two times speed. We were done in four hours, baby. It was glorious. It's actually a short book, too. That that helped. Um, But yeah, so I watched it a few, I watched it twice. Um, Do you want to tell me what your initial reaction was first, or do you want me to go first? Um, No, I'll go, man. Um, Yeah, go. I think it was uh, visually pleasing. Um, yeah, I, if you like watch anything uh, long enough, you'll find things you know to pick apart. I think uh, in the case with this one, it'd probably be uh, pacing uh, mainly. But um, I think I was really uh, captivated by uh, the main uh, the main character and uh, uh, and just kind of like uh, the story in general. So uh, even the second go at it, um, I, I still enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think it is kind of like uh, slump. There's something about like the pacing and overall, and I don't know if it was just the, uh, the like the way they did the narration of the film, but um, you felt uh, like a little scattered. Um, I, at least I did. Mm-hmm. But overall, though, I thought it was a lot of fun uh, fun to watch. I thought it was like filmed very nicely, and uh, uh, just the the performances, especially with the main actor. That I'm not even going to yeah, prop you for you know giving a go at the name. So I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to. Uh, this is his first uh, movie, I think. He's more of a musician, from what I understand, in India. 
Um, his name is Adarsh Grav. The character's name is Balram, and he is great. If there is a reason to watch this movie, it's probably for his performance. Uh, he carries the entire movie on his shoulders. I do think that like, there are some problems I have with the movie, and it I it became more clear actually when I listened to the book. Like this is a very straightforward a- adaptation of the book because the book is the same thing. It's like a narrator. It starts the same way. It ends the same way. Like every scene is almost word for word verbatim from the book. It's very very faithful f- f- to the book. The only the only thing they just took out just wholesale just kind of took out a few kind of character moments. They took out a couple scenes. Because uh, you actually in the book, they're actually he's probably a worse person in the book. He's more amoral in the book than he is on screen. They softened him up a little bit, as they did kind of with everybody. Because yeah. it's a movie, I think they wanted you to like these characters. Like that's supposed to be like you know the subversive thing. You know, oh, I kind of like these guys, even though I don't like them. Like I don't yeah. like everything they do. I don't subscribe to everything they do, but you know they're so so nice. They're so enigmatic. Mm-hmm. You know, so they soften him up because, like, there's literally a line in the book from Bell Ram where he's just like, uh, the reason why, like, because this is a big theme in the book, which is something we'll probably get into, is that this, uh, like, China and India kind of joining as a new economic superpower. And now they, they no longer need the influence of the West. The West has come and kind of destroyed the culture of India and has changed it from a more, um, I guess, socialist regime to a more entrepreneurial, capitalistic regime. And that's a theme in the... It's in the movie. They don't get into it very much. They kind of just say... And, and uh, surprisingly enough, I thought, I was like, okay, well, they talk about it a little bit in the movie. They bring it up, but it's it's in the subtext. It's how the story ends as well. Like, they bookend it with those kind of thoughts, but they don't really delve into it in any serious way. Neither does the... Surprisingly enough, neither... The book is just as like surface level as the movie is, which I was really kind of shocked about, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah but the, and that was one thing too. Is like uh, what you're talking about, how they try to. It was a bit contrived to uh, pop it in the uh, capitalist themes and like you know Western culture's influence, right? Because when Bob Ram is talking, I think the uh, he's like you know America. So yesterday, you know, it's no longer the white man's world; it's the yellow and brown man's world. Yeah. Which, pretty kind of like uh, out, out of touch uh, with his character because his whole life was grown up you know in you know the heartland of india then outward so the only like a wrongdoing he's ever experienced from himself is his own people yeah he, and then, uh, how would he have this perception right exactly, like exactly exactly yeah, well which is like a little bit of author insert the author adiga is a uh upper middle class indian man who went to oxford uh, very fine schools, worked for Time Magazine for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of successful, very young. And, uh, oh my God, I, li- I read an interview and there's some choice quotes in there. But uh, well, before I get to that, though, oh, the point I was trying to make before, though, was that in the book, he direct- they directly point to the idea that like cell phone usage and homosexuality being accepted in the West is what is weakening it. And that's why it's time for India and China to take hold with a strong hand because Western men are weak now. That's like part of the, that's like, that's part of his reasoning. They totally cut that out of the movie. <laughs> that's not in the movie, <laughs> but, but the rest of it is though. The rest of it is, they just cut that part out. They, so that was just an example of how they kind of soften the edges a little bit. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, 
this is this is something I, I had more of a problem with the movie after I listened to the book and I read some interviews from the author. Uh, he doesn't really know. He's not a very thoughtful person. This was just like an angry projection. So this is one of these things. It's like, well, do I? T- what am I supposed to take away from this movie? Like, what is the ultimate message? of the movie like is it that like uh is it this vicious cycle of this idea that you're you're doomed like if you want to make it in the world you got to fuck people over you got to step on people you got to sacrifice your family you got to sacrifice the old world old values because that's a big part of the movie right like that's a big part of the story is him kind of rejecting <laughs> formal india in terms of like his fealty to his family how the uh, the film starts off is like excuse me you know it's a uh, you know typical indian fashion it's a custom to uh, you know start off by worshiping a god you know you kind of make a light you know mark up getting right into it right so like uh, but you're what you bring on to is like what are the main like you know takeaways from that and just kind of like generally like you know what are the main themes uh, like of this movie right so we talked a little bit about you know uh, the the capitalist influence whatnot but just the whole the kill your master this uh, perpetual uh, reoccurrence of, you know, servitude. There's a lot, a lot about, you know, classism mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, you know, India's a unique case because they had, you know, a caste system that, you know, officially ended in the late 40s. But as you see, even in the movie takes place in like 2007, he's being interviewed. Granted, it's, you know, a movie based off a book, but you got to imagine there's some like, you know, reality to it where he's like, you know, what's your cast? You know, they ask, like, it's still very much real, but just kind of oh, like, for sure. like, you know, Jim Crow, you know, ended, you know, 60 years ago. Exactly. But then, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, so so you, uh, we can kind of relate to. Uh, yeah, some, it's, it's still, a, it's still, a, it's still a society that structures itself based on that idea. Even if it's not like legal imperative anymore, it's, it's still very much there and everybody acts in kind. Like, there's stuff in the book about like, well, why, like the reason why, like, uh, there's so little crime in parts of India and stuff and, uh, why they don't really worry about their servants and stuff is because they're so, they're so kind of brainwashed into thinking of their, their cast of their place that they would never dare. They don't even worry about that kind of stuff. That's why they're, they let them walk around, you know, that's why they can hang out in their houses, be with their children, you yeah. know? Yeah. They're not gonna. They're not gonna do anything about it. Or just like that one pivotal part in the movie, um, you know, where uh, uh, Pinky, Baram's uh, um, master's wife, whatever, is runs over a kid, and they don't even report the you know death of their own child. Oh, there is. There's an interesting aspect to the movie, and I guess it could be in the book. And you know, credit to the author Adiga there, um, is that it does. There is a subtle kind of uh, critique, I would suppose. Of kind of a woke progressive people that insist that they're progressive and that they're they're doing the right thing and they're educated and they lived in America and then you see actually the reality because the, they kind of put on this face of being like oh we gotta be nice to Paul Ram why would you do that to him but still also treating him like human garbage they don't actually care about him it's all a facade you know when you first meet like a Shoko and a Pinky they bring him into their like a uh, their bedroom. To kind yeah. of, I don't even remember. I can't remember exactly what they're talking about, but their main concern is like, don't you think people need internet and cell phones? And you know, they're asking me about like, have you ever used the internet? Do you know what the internet is? Which is a very kind of progressive, modern perspective. Like, if only these people had access to kind of culture and 
and uh, and a wider perspective, their whole world would change. Which mm-hmm. is a very that's a very modern that's a very Western concept. You know, right. that's what we think all the time now. It's like, well, if we expose kids to these ideas, you know, when they're kids, you know, if they right. have access to this broader perspective of the world, then that'll do the work for us. Yeah, which was kind of like in a way uh, robbed from uh, Bahram in the beginning, right? Because he uh, was the only one of his family get, that got to go to school and he got sought, uh, sought out by the uh, <clears throat> um, school inspector, whatever his title was. And, you know, it's, he had to the titular line. He's like, you're the white tiger because it was out of the class. Bahram was the only one that knew how to read. He knew what the great socialist, like politician of the region. Uh, uh, like her sent uh, sentiment towards like you know what could um, happen with the empowerment of education. He was selected to you know go do this, so he had this you know right there at the beginning of the kid like you're exposed to new ideas. We're going to get you far away from here. You're going to go to our great you know New Delhi school and all this stuff. And then you know evil grandma like you know pulled back to go work in the the tea shop and Van mm-hmm. Cole like and all that shit. So just like a and I think that's what makes uh, Arm's character so interesting, and like in contrasting like with that. Because I'm glad you used the term like you know, uh, the, like this wokeism. Because I made a I made a note about that in terms of like uh, just how like full of shit people are. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they go. Oh, you should care about these people. But at the same time, I'm going to like you emasculate and humiliate you because in front of my friend because well we while well, like, scratching yourself and blah, blah blah. But like it's the same thing we do all the time. Everybody does this, right? Like we're like oh like. You know, of course, I want to support like good causes, and I don't want human suffering or human rights violated in other countries, so I can get a computer cheaper. But at the end of the day, uh, you're like, well, I support those things as long as it doesn't disrupt my life. <laughs> like, if it doesn't disrupt my day to day, any major city, right? I was in D.C. a couple weeks ago, right? And then you know, a lot of things have been popping in D.C. And you got all these, all these people, you know, uh, these different hashtag campaigns, you know, support those people, blah blah, you know. Uh, the big thing right now, right? Like minimum wage thing that's going on in the Senate. All this emptiness about we should do this, we should care about people. And then, you know, DC, just like many major uh, US cities in this country, have a lot of homeless people. Yeah. A lot of, you know, of color uh, homeless people, you know, just walk around and people just walk by on there with their Starbucks, talking and not even look at them and be annoyed if they come talk or, like, God forbid, make eye contact, right? So, and, you know, and just talk about. Like what's going on, like uh, in other like uh, countries, and you know, do do this stuff like that when you got people literally right here starving, like down the street from you, not in some foreign land, you know, across the pond, like right there in your backyard, right? So that was just well, it's, it, it's because it's because like it's an abstraction, like it's an intellectual exercise. It's 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 not real to you. So it's very easy just to say things. It's super easy to say things, right? Of course, I don't want this to happen to people. Of course, it's awful. Oh my God, homeless people in in uh, in France. Oh my God, it's awful. That's awful. What's going on over there? What are these concentration camps over there? And then, like you said, that but like but somebody down the street from you is like fucking <laughs> d- dying, mm-hmm. dying from exposure because they live in fucking their homeless guy that lives in D.C. and he's got to find a a grate near a subway to sleep so he could, doesn't freeze to death. Yeah, you know, and then you just step over that guy. Because that's because that's reality. That's something you could tangibly affect. Yeah, or not even just over, but just got annoyed at their audacity. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to accept responsibility for abstract ideas. That's why it's so easy to be get, hashtags, Twitter, social mm-hmm. media. You don't have people don't feel the need to accept responsibility for the things that they say, right? Because it's like we still have this idea that it's 
ephemeral, that it's it's digital world. It's not real. Right. Yeah. But back to like Panky and Ashok, you know, telling Baram uh, going to that whole cinema you're talking about, if he knew about the internet and everything like that, like he got at an early age exposed to this, right? And then I thought it like very colorful, um, you know, metaphor he was using, uh, they kept saying Brewster Coop. And I'm, every time they made a reference to the Brewster Coop, I'm like, you mean chicken coop? Did they say Brewster Coop in the book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They do. They do. Well, that's how you know the author's a snob that went to Oxford. Okay, he doesn't even fucking know. You know, these people are backwards. Another one of your, another one of your regulars. You know, uh, Mr. Prophet. He, he would probably cringe at that too. That's why I wanted him to watch it. Hey, did you hear that old bit? He called it a rooster coop. Huh? Am I right? Am I right? These people are crazy. Yeah. I wonder why they are where they are. Call them things rooster coops. I mean, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. Just going on there and just being still. I'm going to do this and then just get that completely ripped away from him and then uh, taking what savvy he knew uh, about that because his brother, um, probably uh, you like to believe like maybe a year or two older older than he is, just completely uh, um, not even half baked like you know, that uh, shitty joke uh, a statement Shook made about Baron later on, mm-hmm. just inundated with his task like he's a living, um, breathing tool to just. Do whatever the tea shop needs and whatever the hell, like a, you know, the, because uh, um, we're led to believe that, you know, because uh, we know um, Baram's father died of tuberculosis at, at an early age, and you know his mom is not in the picture, so like this grandma is like, you know, the the alpha figure that's running the whole household and just kind of yeah, that's what I was. Is it like a matriarchal, more of a matriarchal society in these villages? That's kind of what the sense I got. Like I said, I'm not an expert. You know, I know a little bit about the caste system and everything that happened in the forties because I wrote a paper on Gandhi like a couple years ago, so I was a little bit familiar with some of that stuff. But because even it, it, they make a point in the book too, they don't really get into it. But like when when um, when Balram's father finds out that he was pulled out of school to go break coal, mm-hmm. he's mad. He's mad, but he doesn't do anything about it. Right. It's like the the grandmother is ultimately the one that gets the final say, you know. Right, but it's just kind of another like extension of you know the the chicken the rooster coop, like in this case, like you know you know what's coming, you know what's happening, and you know now the new fate of your son that you didn't want because that's why you made it after to put at least one of your kids in the school and you got him in, and now you're going to deal with you know the backlash of that. So like nope, like that's. You know, that's how England was able to take over the entire country, by the way. <laughs> well, this is something that uh, upper middle class Indians apparently are very, you know, because most of them are Western educated. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk a lot about, you know, colonization. And apparently, uh, this <laughs> the Daily Beast interview, I, the one that I sent to you earlier, apparently he had, uh, he had referred to the interviewer as a colonizer more than one time. We're talking about a guy that's a, the son of a doctor. Yeah. We're not uh, talking about, you know what I mean? Like these people have, I mean, maybe rightly so, I suppose, everything being relative, I, I guess. If you look at the influence England had on the country and then you got to weigh it about like w- whether or not like that was a positive force for India or not. I don't know. Like I can't, I couldn't say that. I'm not well educated enough on the topic to be able to make that kind of discernment. But I assume if white people were involved, it's probably fine. Yeah. That's a joke, everybody. Well, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> India is now the leader in cricket now. So, I mean, 
Thanks, England. I, I don't know. I mean, booyah, booyah. That billion-dollar support. And I, that's another thing I didn't know what the fuck it was when, until I went to Oman. Uh, or go to yeah. Remember, you know what like, cricket was? I knew, I knew of it because my dad had a cricket board from college that was a discipline go to disciplinary tool. Uh, I didn't know about that, but I know it was like like a thing thing, right? Until I was out there, I remember going by to some like restaurant. Everyone's gathered around the TV, and it, you know, maybe me. Like, what the hell are they doing? That's why Paul identified with this movie so much because when he went to Oman, he was Belrom. I was Belrom. I was using my wits. I was driving people around. I was driving people on my rental to uh, rip off my uh, my masters. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. But yeah, no, just deep deep set, uh, seated uh, felt that he's in for like greatness, which nobody in that village got. And then I think that's why he was. Uh, it was just interesting to watch that. You know, this, the whole white tiger concept and him just kind of morph into that character. And, like, well, okay, he he lets. Yeah, he lets it go for a while, right, though? He lets it go because he is like, I want to serve. I want to be a good servant. I want to be a good driver. I want to be like, I want to be good. Like, you know, because they're taught to think of their masters as like family. Like, mm -hmm. those are my fathers, my cousin. Like, that's the kind of reverence they have for them. It's really, there's a, you know, there's an inflection point. There's a pivot point in the story is when Pinky hits that kid after, because she insists on drunk driving. She hits a kid in the street. And they convince, or they, they basically not convince, they voluntold Balram that he's got to sign a confession that he's the one that did it. And that's a turning point for him. Like, his character turns a little bit, right? Right there. He suddenly, like, doesn't feel like this uh, love and loyalty to them anymore. Mm -hmm. Which is way more, uh, I would say, explicit and dark in the book. But uh, in the movie... That's like, you know, that's the turning point for his character. That's like midway through the movie, too, which is weird because it feels like a third act thing because it mm. feels like the story is kind of building up to this moment and it's really not. Right. Huh. Yeah. Because, like, because that's when he re That's when he. was like, you know, talking to the guy who ran the, ran the garage area and uh, finding out about his fate. He goes, oh, what happens? He goes, well. You know, good. Uh, lucky you get another like ten years of this, and then you know most people end up in a sh you know like a, a shelter or shanty off in some bit or something like that. And like uh, and this guy that ran the whole garage, Barum just couldn't even like face him because of his discolorment in his face and everything. Mm -hmm. you know, that was uh, I feel another big uh, driving point too to make because that's really what expedited him to kind of um, um, uh, network with other drivers and other people to find out the tricks of the trade here here's how we overcharge invoices you know for your uh, maintenance for your vehicle you can you know get more uh, gas to sell to other drivers you can start driving other people other than your master and stuff like that and start building up that uh, side you know, bank too you know mm -hmm. yeah that, and i think those those compounding factors when he's like kind of realizes the reality of his situation really where does he actually stand how do people really feel about it? Right. You know, he's just, he's a fucking footstool. And it's not until that happens that it really dawns on him because he actually even makes mention. He's like, from that point on, I, I knew that I had to become the white tiger. Mm -hmm. Kind of reminded him of his potential and not right. to sell himself short, which basically in a metaphorical sense is, is, uh, is letting go of the old ways of India specifically like i said before kind of when we started talking about this stuff it's like he lets go of like fealty to family 
Uh, he lets go of like kind of the loyalty that is implied in the cat, the unofficial caste system that exists with servants and masters, and uh, he starts living for himself in a very like aggressive way. And like he just takes it far. He's just smart enough to take it further than the guy that runs, you know, like the place where he sleeps is like the garage. That guy's just, uh, you know, a little. He's just not he's not smart enough to be an entrepreneur. He doesn't have that kind of spirit or that ability. But he knows how to scam, and he knows how to make extra money on the side. Mm-hmm. And that was, and that was, you know, one of the weird themes of the movie. I suppose was that like any type of upward mobility, if you're a poor person in India is to be a criminal. And they say that. They say, like, either you're a criminal or you're a politician. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to move up the, the ladder, you're either a criminal or you're a politician. That's why they love the great socialist, because she was poor. Like, at least that's her legend, right? Right. Even though she's trying to extort, like, this other dirtbag family for millions of rupees or whatever the hell they're doing, right? She's trying to extort them for money. And... uh so she's just as bad as they are, I suppose. I don't know if the movie's trying to say that or not. I don't know. I just that was just something. I think the movie does have a very negative connotation towards Indian politics uh, in general. There, yeah. Right. Well, oh, and, and the upper class, right? It's like it's a, it's a very cynical movie. I would say it's very cynical about the like about what it means to be successful. At least, specific, and I think some of it is specific to India. It's not like it's not a very broad thing. You couldn't apply these ethics other places and like understand it. So it could be a little bit ignorance on my part because you know, just as like a, I don't know, I guess as a viewer, like you tend to like you watch movies like this, you look at these characters, you look at the themes, and you kind of think about them how they apply it to your own world, and you see like how mismatched that would be. So I, you know, even I had to take a step back, like okay, well, well, they're talking about India specifically. And this right. is how people are made to feel. The one thing that I, I would say that, like, uh, because of War- Balram ends up at literally taking Ashoka's name, which is funny because there's a line in the movie where he says, oh, you like that name? You take it. So he takes it at the end. He starts a white tiger taxi driver company. He's like Scarface at the end of the movie. But he's a benevolent Scarface. He's the benevolent, like, powerful man. Not mm-hmm. like these other people. Not like, not like what happened to him. He's a benevolent one. Like he's, right. you know, you, if they kill a kid, they go to the family and give them money. Like, yeah. which I, which I was like, uh, I felt like that's why I'm just very conflicted about how to feel about that character at the end of the movie because I was, for me, it was it was uh, this this kind of uh, naivete about the positivity of that. It's just like that is a trap. Anytime you see like people with great power do great evil things. And it's kind of like the the argument that people have about communism nowadays. Everybody's like, well, they just didn't do it right. Like, I'm the one that knows how to do it right. That's right. why I believe in it. Right. So in, in, a, in a weird way, Balram's like, I'm the one that knows how to do this right. And I don't feel like, and this is a failing in the book as well. There's no exploration. There's not a lot of exploration of his life as the white tiger. Right. Like it's, no, they just kind of let you, like, you know, uh, lay out like these are the events of what happened. We gave you a bit of the context, and like, uh, and now we leave you with you know where it was at at that time. And uh, and and I think uh, up to us right now to talk, kind of talk about it, or at least that's a fun fun thing to think about. Uh, the one thing you're talking about um, with being uh, unique, you know, to India, not us, or not knowing how to feel about it. And that was one um, like one takeaway I had too. It's just like what a great uh, privilege it is to. You know, 
grow up and live in the West, right? Where mm -hmm. you know, in our heads when we were kids, like when we were kids growing up, you know, in the late eighties, nineties, like, you know, you work hard, you know, you'll make it, you can do this, you can be whatever you want. Right. And then here it's just like, you work hard enough. Good. Keep working. Cause grandma needs money. <laughs> and you're going to die. You yeah. keep working hard. Right, like there, there's no, there's nowhere to go. Right. And, um, and I think uh, with bomb because uh, how are you supposed to feel uh, with that, right? And so, like, you kind of look at like some of the redeeming things. He did a lot of cutthroat things uh, um, to get there, right? So, um, uh, with uh, we'll keep the grandma stuff out of it from the side, but he got money from her, even though it wasn't like a you know an act of kindness from his grandma that invested in him to go to driving school. But he becomes a driver, mm -hmm. and then he gets there, and then he first thing he does in his new like. Uh, and his new uh, chicken coop is to be, you know, that you know the main head, the main mother hen there. Yeah. And so finds out, you know, spies on the uh, the number one driver and finds out that he's actually a Muslim and the masters yeah. are Hindu. They don't want, you know, anybody else like that. And then threatens to out him. And so he shows himself out the door, you know, in an effort to not, you know, get his own family killed or whatever the repercussions would have been like for there too, right? That kind of take over that spot. And then it yeah. just... It goes, but well, have having that mindset, of, like, because uh, uh, he tells early on about the whole rooster coop, uh, you know, mythology, and so in his mind, like, um, his brothers, his cousins, everyone, like, uh, they're already dead, and they know they're dead, and they know it's coming through, and then the only one that actually has any type of like real mouse or like kind of control in the, their situation is the grandmother, and um, I don't think they, exp I think if they did a better job of a. Uh, um, uh, illustrating that dynamic between him, uh, the grandma and Bob Ryan, but why he would be more inclined to do not saying that justifies uh, his act for, you know, yeah. daughter, which you know, we're led to believe killed his entire, like, you know, family minus uh, his uh, nephew that his grandmother sent out um, to go see him out in um, uh, Bangalore. Right. Yeah. But uh, like there was uh, a little bit there. So the only one that could actually think for themselves or do that's who he killed and everyone else is kind of collateral damage. But, he knew at the end of the day that they were, you know, was that his decision to make? No, I'm not making any case for him or against him. I'm just kind of like, well, that's why like it's, it's so, it's so broad. What happens is so broad and never delved into, like you said, there's no development of like why I should side with Belrom about any of that stuff. Like the grandmother is the grandmother. She's living her life in the way that she knows how to live it in the way that like, she's, you know, grew up in a village and poor, this is how it's done. Like, I don't think I don't. I never saw it as malicious, short-sighted, but not malicious, right? Like, that's not her intention to be that way. But the broadness of it kind of just makes it to me. It makes it more of metaphorical. It just makes it about a value choice, about an ethical choice, or a, not an ethical choice, but a value choice in the sense that like I have to kill the old ways. I have to let that shit go. Even at the cost of my family, like it doesn't matter, because if I don't do that, then I'll never like break the chain. I'll never break the cycle, right? Like that's part of it. Like it's blood. It's like blood money. It's a sac. It's a human sacrifice for his endeavor, right? And he chooses to do it. And the thing, the thing about the story, this is true in the book as well. It's so slight. It passes over so quick. You never really have, are given a chance to like sit with like the actual implications of what is going on in a lot of the story and a lot of the movie. Like, I, I feel like you're supposed to kind of side with Balrog at the end of the movie. 
like because it has kind of this very pedantic like eat the rich vibe to it towards the end of the movie when he kind of comes into himself now granted is that more like applicable or fair given the circumstances these people are coming from maybe so maybe that kind of anger is a little bit more warranted i suppose than projecting it into a western culture or you're supposed to have the same reaction that you know the uh, uh the chinese premier had when he like solemn uh, when he actually came over to India and um, introduced himself, or Ashok at that time, because he took that name, introduced himself and just kind of like, you know, standoffish and like, oh, well, it's a little weird. Right. So, yeah, because he's like a mob boss. He's like, a, that's what he is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and they talk, they, they do like, they don't talk about it. They show you like little snippets of what that is. Like I said, uh, like he'll go to the police when one of his, when a, one of his drivers, you know, they he hits a kid. One of his drivers hits a kid, kills the kid. He smooths it over with the police. He, he like he just accepts the corrupt nature of of the world that he lives in. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like that's the first thing he does when he gets to Bangalore. He goes to the he, he's like, all right, I gotta find the police official. Mm-hmm. Was in charge of run shit, and I gotta give him a bag of money. Yep. Yep. These <laughs> all around. All around the country doing the same thing. This is how it works. And I wish there was more of like a, a richness of like getting to know how he understands these things. Like where are these influences coming from? Because you're talking about this naive village kid that was a driver for like a couple years. You're not talking about somebody that lived a lifetime and had all this experience and met all these people. And even the book, he meets a little bit more. He has a little bit more of an influence from other people, but not really. Like not in the. It has this. I would say the book has the same issues that the movie does in terms of just like feeling a little contrived feeling a little author insert a little overly like messagey in terms of like the author is like trying to just imbue you impart to you a very specific message about like the nature of capitalism the nature of business the nature of industrialization so he so he uses so he kind of fucks his own story to do that because he has to take shortcuts to get you there without having and not really wanting to explain it, I suppose. I mean, that maybe that's just me. I don't know. That's how I felt. No, it definitely wasn't um, explained a bit much, but I think uh, Barham's uh, progression um, to making the steps that he did to there, like uh, especially after like the second watch, um, just uh, yeah. And maybe maybe it's kind of <clears throat> maybe it's kind of reaching, but it just. Very, very astute, very astute kid. And then even when he was in the tea room, you know, <laughs> to over overhear and like uh, eavesdrop on conversations, find out what's going on. That's what led him to figure out like driving, being a driver is the best spot up. That now, who do I go? Like, where do I go at the next target? So, from the very beginning, he is um, very adaptive uh, to his environment and just kind of taking that what little like a. Uh, yeah, he's an observ- he's an observant guy. Like he's always watching, yeah, he's always sure. learning, he's always taking things in. But just yeah, but it it progresses there. So I, it, and it's me you know, like when filming talking about how do you just go from like a couple years doing that? I mean, I know that's kind of like a reach, but that was just kind of like his progression. And then when he had yeah. that uh, great scene where he takes his uh, nephew to the uh, the zoo, and he actually sees a white tiger, but also stuck in the cage. And then you're thinking rooster coop, and then he's just has that uh, overwhelming montage of all these traumatic events in his life and then, you know, uh, faints for the first time since, you know, he saw his uh, father get uh, cremated, right? Yeah. 
now now we're taking this full tilt so yeah it, i don't know but uh did you get i got a little bit like as he's writing the letter to the you know the premiere or whatever because um, it's kind of it's kind of funny i noticed to like the second time like watching it but um when he sees uh the mo you know the the stork and then the mongoose and then the youngest son of shook come there and then like uh, you watch, it looks like a like a love at first sight scene it's like the music playing and like Shook is like yeah. slow doing the hair. He's like, that's that's the one for me. Like uh, Bob, he even referred. He, well, he, maybe it's right into it, but you know he ends up taking his name over that too, and then he refers him at the end of the film as his ex. You know, like no, I totally, yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, I think that there is kind of the sense of a. Uh, it's not romantic, but it's a relationship. It's kind of a part like in the same way that all of our personal relationships build who we are and why we are the way we are and that ashok is like the most uh, impactful in a certain way mostly because of what he had to do at the end i mean he even says like he's so dispassionate kind of about having to kill this dude that he's like i don't know i wish it was somebody else but that's just who was there yeah. that's who i could get this money from yeah i mean he's like i don't hate ashok but you know he was there he didn't deserve this fate. He didn't deserve this fate. But he also had the pressure of uh, he thought Shook was going to uh, replace him as well because what he was reading. It's like a storytelling device where they add a ticking clock. You're supposed to feel like the ticking clock. He's got to do this before he gets replaced, before he gets fired. Unfortunately, this director is, uh, in my opinion, a little mediocre, Paul. I don't know. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought this, you know, just to talk about some of like the filmmaking aspects, I thought it was kind of a lazy movie in in that sense, and I felt that even more. Is though, man, I just wanted to finish that thought about like because uh, he did that whole like love scene, like uh, watching a shook or whatever. But throughout the whole narration, he's writing to the Chinese premier, and it's just like I just got the whole thing is just like he's still continuing the cycle, but he's just getting a bigger cage because now it's like a he's seeking out like a new master, and he's doing the same type of ass kissing. Um, uh, to the Chinese premiere as he was with the Shook, you know, I love your father, your brother, yeah. blah, blah, this, doing this whole thing like, you know, I know as a communist, like, you don't believe in God, but do you believe in fate? You know, or this and blah, blah, you know, you're just well, that they, same. They always player. have that. The, they have the sense of, like, the, there are hierarchies within hierarchies, right? Like, even Ashok and his father and his and the mongoose and his family are subject to the politicians. Mm -hmm. They're so high up on the in the caste system and the class system that they're subject to their to them. So they're like they're the servants of those people. They only exist their their wealth only exists at the behest of what these politicians want to do. Right. And then he's kind of entering into the same thing. So everybody has that, right? Like it's is this constant cycle of servant and master and having to kill your master to get to the top of the ladder. Like it's just a cycle of that. It's actually so I think it's the slave master paradox. It's uh, Frederick Nietzsche. If you ever feel like looking into that, like he, he you know, the philosopher Nietzsche, he talked yeah. about he talked about this idea, this concept of of uh, of having to do those things just to like as a natural state of life. You just have to do that. You have to be better than like the people that that uh, I guess teach you. Like you have to overcome them, and this is like something that's archetypal in storytelling as well, right? It's always like, ah, now the mas now the student has become the master. Like this is something that's just in storytelling for hundreds of years. 
and uh, but it's but it's something that reflects real life because we're all we're we're all stuck in that kind of thing, right? Like if you're a type of person that like say works for a business or is in a situation where you want to like move up in the company or whatever, sometimes that doesn't happen until that per that person above you fucks up or is old enough to retire and or die or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this is this dark little piece of all of us that's motive that is motivated by these these kind of very cynical positions to take about our own situations, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, not me. I'm not like that. I would never be like that. I mean, I'm actually a white tiger. So, um, but no, but I just think that's a, it's something that the story deals with, but that doesn't deal with it. Like it's there and it just hangs there and it doesn't do anything with it. And to me, I don't know. Maybe that's just me becoming an old man or something. I'm just like, uh, well, that's just like you got. It's just boring. <laughs> like it's just like one of these things. Like, no, dude, I'm just asking questions, man. I just ask all these questions, and I don't, I don't do anything with it. Like that's not smart. Like that's not intriguing to me. Right. Like you have to have a thesis statement. That's what's. That's what bothers me so much about the how the movie ends. I was like, there's like no thesis statement here. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with all? That's just a bunch of information. And then you're supposed to think he's cool, and then there's all these. We can get it once we start talking about the director and the meta levels of the movie. Like there's there's some interesting aspects where they're just like making an anti Bollywood movie, and they're actually giving the finger to Danny Boyle a couple times, who did who directed Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, because they did that in the open narration. There's no million dollar. Uh, there's no million rupee show that can get you out of this, right? And also the final shot of the movie, right? Is is uh, Baram and all of his employees, and if you are familiar with Indian cin- cinema or even just familiar with Slumdog Millionaire, there's a giant dance routine that happens at the end of every Bollywood movie. So you are waiting for it to happen, and it doesn't. It doesn't. And it doesn't because this guy is so deep. Okay. I made a note about that. I was like, I was like, oh, what the, what the hell? What the freaking yeah. Bollywood blue balls? Get my dance, bitch! What? Oh, dude, I watch, I rewatched Slumdog Millionaire because we were, <laughs> I was just like, which is, I see, like, very white guy thing, you know, very like American dude, like, no, well, well, reminds me of Slumdog Millionaire a little bit, and uh, so I go watch Slumdog Millionaire, which is a movie I always like assumed that I liked a lot, and then I watched it. Last time I watched it, I was probably like. Probably, I think we lived together last time I watched Slumdog oh, wow. Millionaire. Yeah. Like, I bought the DVD. It was the last time I watched Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> Writing checks. Probably spent $20 on it and watched it one time in my life. Wow, so worth it, Sean. So worth it. Now it's in a landfill. Um, <laughs> I couldn't eat back then. It's fucking so stupid. But anyways, I got a sickness. Um, yeah, but I watched it, and um, and I was... And I was and like, and a part of it was because this movie reminded me not just because it's an Indian film, because they make specific digs at Slumdog Millionaire, and right. also like just the filming style is a little Danny Boyle. Okay. Like, in, like if you think about this movie, if you've seen Train Spotting, right? Oh, yeah. Like it kind of like echoes some of those kind of vibes. Uh, the way that Danny Boyle makes a movie, like it's kind of in there a little bit. Some of the framing, some of the way that the uh, the cinematography is done. And uh, going back and watching Slumdog Millionaire, Slumdog Millionaire, and I, I hate to use this, but it is a condescending movie, like to Indian people. It fetishizes like being poor. It's super contrived. 
It's just about like it is one of these movies that I swear to God is just to, so white people feel better about themselves. And I don't say that lightly because I'm not the type of person that kind of throws that kind of shit around. But it's very clearly like, oh, don't you want to feel good about like how awful their life is? <laughs> it's it's like almost came off as a piece of like propaganda. Very weird. Huh. And and that movie ends with a big Bollywood dance number after one of the main characters. So that this, if you guys don't know the story of Slumdog Millionaire's three kids, two boys and a girl. You kind of track their life. What you find this kid at the when he's like twenty years old gets on. Who wants to be a millionaire? And uh, the movie is is a series of flashbacks about why he knows the answers to the questions. And um, one of the one of the other the other character the other boy character ends up living a life of crime. Like two minutes before this Bollywood dance, that guy gets fucking blown away, Scarface style, in a bathtub full of money. The police come in and they blow him the fuck away. And then three minutes later. Ah, uh, Dev Patel got the girl, dude, and fucking dancing, dude. It's fucking Bollywood, baby. Yeah. You can live your dreams. You can live your dreams. He won. He I'm beat everybody. Wait for the critique of why that's like not appropriate. Oh. It's just, it's just like a. There's a dissonance there. There's like a cognitive dissonance. Ten minutes before getting blown away over a tub of money, and then getting the girl in Bollywood. Well, dance. yeah. If we're talking about proximity to the time, if you want to be classy. At least fifteen minutes. At least fifteen. At and least fifteen minutes. Already three hours. Jeez. Jeez, man. Jeez. No, Slumdog Slug. When you're like older and you watch Slumdog Millionaire, you're just like, oh, this movie kind of sucks. Like, and I understand now. I understand why it won so many Academy Awards because it's so like pandering and like so gross. Like it doesn't want to deal with anything. It makes their life like a fairy tale. Like, oh my god, all the suffering and awful shit you had to do, but it's, it's destiny, baby. It's destiny. Mm. It's all worth it. It's destiny. Like I'm sorry. Like yeah, you could have got raped by this guy, and this girl got her face cut because she was disrespectful. But you know, now you're millionaires. <laughs> it's a very Western perspective on like being poor, I suppose, right? And, and in a very like stupid, cynical, fantastical way, it's like, oh, dude, you can win the lottery. Got to play the lottery, dude. You got to get on a game show. You got to do something. Right, right. But I don't know. But this movie directly is like uh, antagonistic towards that movie. Because you know, Danny Boyle, colonizer, colonizer, Paul, uh, uh, White you. Tiger, made exclusively by people from India. Oh, didn't know that. Well, I mean, the director, the writer, <laughs> the actors. I don't know what the crew looked like. Uh, well, the writer, we just established earlier on, he's a tourist. He's an he's, No, he is a tourist, and he uh -huh. kind of he admits as much. He's like, the, the reason I became a journalist is because I knew I would never talk to people like this if I wasn't a journalist. <laughs> And what he's dude? Oh my god! I, maybe I should try to find the article. I should hold probably try to find the on. article. Oh, dude, hold on. Just <laughs> over to bash this guy. It's no longer a film talk. Let's talk about this guy some more. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, come on, come on, come on. That's the guy in D.C. walking by, getting annoyed that the audacity of that homeless dude asking for uh, some change. That's what that guy's like. 
Because it, it, it was, I guess, like the person that interviewed him was was a little like aggressive in the sense of like, aren't you a tourist? And he mm-hmm. got very offended and started calling him a, a white colonizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a specific part. Let's say address an ad hominem attack. You know, you got to return it. You got to go back. Okay, here there. we go. Here we go. Okay, if we were, this is a quote from him. If we were in India now, there would be servants standing in the corners of this room, and I wouldn't notice them. Says Zadiga. That's why my society. That's what my society is like. That is what the divide is like. Adiga conceived the novel when he was traveling in India and writing for Time magazine. I spent a lot of time hanging around stations and talking to rickshaw pullers, which is what uh, Balram is. Uh, what struck him was the physical difference between the poor and the rich. <laughs> like, what kind of a sheltered life do you live? <laughs> in India, it's it's the rich who have problems with obesity. No shit. Thank you. And the poor are dark-skinned because they work outside and often work without their tops on so you can see their ribs. But also their intelligence impressed me. What rickshaw pullers especially reminded me of was black Americans in the sense that they are witty, acerbic, verbally skilled, and utterly without illusions about their rulers. Now, if that ain't a fucking wildly racist thing to say, which is apropos because I'm sorry, guys, if you guys don't know this, uh, India, wildly racist fucking country. Even this woke idiot trying to fucking pander and virtue signal can't help but have the bigotry of low expectations. Like, I was shocked when I talked to a black person. I was shocked when I talked to this poor person. He wasn't a gibbering moron. Oh, my God. What a rich rich life they have. This is That's the quote, Paul, that recontextualized this whole thing for me. I was like, oh, this is the guy that wrote this book? Fuck this guy. <laughs> you would get canceled. If you were like a you were an American writer, you would get canceled in 2021. I, I, I just can't get over the well, well well to be fair, in the West, poor people have problems with obesity too. You know, but it's just because we have so much awesome food. Yeah, it's because we got fast food, yeah. <laughs> we got processed foods over here. But just the whole like, I was extremely impressed with their intelligence. So, like, like black people, like black people I had met in America. You're like, what the fuck? Is like, that that's the, what I'm saying. Like, the, like, like is that the link you sent me earlier? Okay, I gotta read that. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It's the he's the whole interview. Um, <laughs> it's just like, dude. <laughs> Like you, this is this is what I'm saying in terms of the author insert quality to the storytelling, this projection, mm-hmm. this kind of broader message. He's one of these fucking rich people that's like a like a champagne socialist guy. Capitalism yeah. is evil. The West is evil. Colonizers are evil. Right, right. Without any type of a deep introspection, that's why I was talking about him. Like it brings these things up, and never delves into them. It's like if you were talking to an uninformed teenager. Mm. And they yeah. just say things. They just say things. They're like, this is bad. Badism, because you go into this thing about classism. You're like, eh, well, yeah, give me more. Well, what about what about this theme of a uh, capitalist? Yeah, let's go to this. Or what about this? Uh, uh, and then move on, and now we're done. So, I, I don't know. Well, because yeah, it, maybe, maybe I don't like the movie anymore now. Man, dude, it really... <laughs> It did actually sour me on the movie a lot because then I, I thought of I think it, sour, it definitely soured. So you can have a different experience with like, you know, visually watching, you know, the movie and then like really 
you know, reading the book or just kind of overall the uh, subjects. I think, I think, uh, God, what was the main guy's name? I, I won't put you to that, but Balram. Balram, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, uh, I think it was, a, it was a fun performance to watch. I think that it was really good. And do you think it was a no, he, he's he's the he's he's the draw of the movie. Like the, that guy is excellent. He's excellent yeah. in this movie. And he's and he's got like this great meaty role. Um I think the actually I think the I was going to talk about uh for the technical side of things like I think the voiceover in the movie is a mistake. I kind of wish it wasn't there. Um I think that guy is a good enough actor that you didn't need that. And I think it acts as a crutch. It's just not a book. This is right. a movie. Like, right. let us sit with these people, let us experience, like, their life, and, like, let us kind of make our own assumptions about their lifestyles and why they do the things that they do. Like, treat us like adults a little bit. This, like, honestly, it's, like, the book is the same way. Like, you're, like, if you had read this when you were 20, you'd be like, wow, that book's fucking awesome, dude. That's, like, it's, like, Fight Club. That shit kicks ass. All right. And, uh, but it's, you know, it's funny, though. Fight Club's a much, much more nuanced uh, thoughtful, thoughtful book, than and movie I would say, uh, than this is deceptively so. Like, but if you're willing to dig in, it's there. I don't think you can really dig in here because it's like I said, I'm just asking questions, man. We got we questions. We bring out concepts and we don't explore any of them except for the most basic thing, which is uh, it sucks to be poor and rich people can be assholes. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like that's that was the kind of the, the, my takeaway from the movie, or or like you know if I want to be very charitable, very generous, uh, the cycle of of bullshit that you can get caught up in when you're trying to be a successful person in a capitalistic or industrial industrialized society. Right, but yeah, or you can just embrace the white tiger, and then once in a generation, someone gets to break out of the rooster coop. Right, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a very big, uh, you know, commentary on the whole nature versus nurture theme, right? So, uh, you know, there you go. But I, that's that's more than fair, like criticism. Like, yeah, there's no exploration. They're bringing up a lot of different topics they don't deep into, and there's not a whole lot to do it. And I think, um, like, like like a good pop song, you can get into uh, the build up, the chorus. Yeah, you know, no, like, I, I, yeah, they're, they're yeah. like that's. Um, it's definitely not uh, like a, a movie for the times. And, you know, no, it's, no, I won't remember this. I, if you already paid for Netflix, or someone that you know or love has already paid for Netflix, and they gave you the you know login account, give it a go because it is a fun thing to watch. Yeah, I would say the moment-to-moment experience of the movie is entertaining, and it's got like the narrative draws you in. You're interested. I think. I wish, like, and again, I wish it wasn't the narration. I wish it didn't have, like, the uh, the bookends the same way the book does, where it's like, you already know he gets out of this. Like, imagine if you didn't know if he got out of it. Right. right. Watching this movie. Way more dramatic. Automatically. Yeah. Automatically. Is he going to jail? Yeah. Like, are, like what's going to happen? Is he going to get fucked over by these fucking scumbags in the, in the, in the parking lot? Or yep. the parking garage? Like, you wouldn't know. You would be uneasy the whole time, and the movie gives you this like, "Nah, dude, this is fun. This is for we're having fun." He gets away. Look at that mustache. He's got fucking sweet, sweet mustache. Sweet mustache. You know, I used to go to a liquor store that was run by this uh, an Indian family, and uh, back there's been periods of my life where I've had more impressive mustaches, like <laughs> really, like fucking going like. 
like in my country, like this this would be this would be quite exquisite. <laughs> they're, they're like, do you use oils and stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, oil from my face, buddy. <laughs> from all the pizza I eat. <laughs> but he's like, oh, this is a beautiful, magnif- magnificent beard. You should take care of it. <laughs> I was like, okay. Now give me my $10 vodka, please. <laughs> and we're on with our day. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Because it probably was daytime. You fucking DJ. <laughs> oh, back then, yeah, that was before I had kids. <laughs> Living this sweet life, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, to to I remember. I yeah. remember. Oh, man. But uh, I think that's pretty much like, uh, you know, the new movies that I uh, would normally do. There's so much to dig in that we only get into anything. But I think that's. Uh, kind of belabored that point a bit there wasn't a lot to chew in well do you think do you think this movie would be better if a better director in the hands of a better director actually if danny boyle directed this movie (laughs) probably a better movie (laughs) like just because like there would be an immediate there would be a kineticism there would be an immediacy it would be fucking crazy it would be like make you sweat inducing right like the way train spotting is or even slumdog millionaire like slumdog millionaire I have problems, it's, but I feel I almost feel exactly the same way I do about that movie as I do about White Tiger. I'm like, the moment-to-moment experience is very entertaining. It's just yeah. when you start like thinking about how they put the story together and how it was constructed, you're just like, no, hold on a second here. Like yeah. this is this is, but well, I think that the first thing that comes to my mind what would make this movie better, um, because it. Because the people that would make it better would not only make it, they would just make the story and then everything better. And that'd probably be the Coen brothers. Oh, dude, the Coen brothers would have killed this. Yeah. Yeah, because you could think of the eccentric Coen brother characters. Like like the Mongoose. Think of like what they would do. With oh, the my God. They would they would have cast John Goodman in Brownface. Oh. <laughs> no, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't, even, they're not that stupid. Yeah. Oh my god, uh, yeah. Well, this guy's like this director. He's just not great, dude. Like, I, have you ever seen ninety nine? Have you ever seen ninety nine homes? Michael no. Shannon, Andrew Garfield. It's about poor people. It's about the the housing uh, collapse, the housing market collapse in two thousand eight. Michael Shannon. That's the guy we like, right? The- oh, I, dude, no, Michael Shannon. You gotta if you watch it for Michael Shannon because Michael Shannon's rad. Uh, uh, he also he's like one of those guys like you just like watching Michael Shannon like you don't even give a fuck what he does or what he's in you're just like Michael Shannon's just fucking entertaining uh, he also directed the uh, the newest version of Fahrenheit 451 the HBO one also starring Michael Shannon and Michael B. Jordan Okay, which I, I fell asleep during I couldn't finish it yeah I fell asleep during it I'm going to whether it's with you or somebody else I want to read Fahrenheit 451. I own the Truffaut movie, the one, the movie from the 70s, and uh, and then I was gonna, wa- I was going to sit down and watch this. Uh, no, I gave it two goes, man. I couldn't. One, one, I fell asleep because I started too late, and then the other one, I was, I'm, I'm just not getting into this. No, into my wife is a big oh, wait, fan. Wait, the director, uh, the the Michael Shan 451 directed, um, White Tiger. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh 
Yeah, he's not a great director. Like he's not. Like he does not have like or or a screenwriter because like he adapted this. He also adapted the four Fahrenheit four fifty one as well. Um, he just he just did the book. He did the most basic bitch version of the book. I was I was watching this because I was like I was like I don't know how to feel about this. I'm gonna watch somebody talk about it for a little bit. And people were like, oh, the visual style, and he's so kinetic and crazy, and he keeps it. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I thought this was kind of flat, like, in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe I got too high of standards. Maybe it's my Western privilege, you know? Well, one, you totally do. So you can dial that back. Check yourself. You're welcome. And my check, I did my checks for the day. But, yeah, no. Um, but I think the Coen Brothers is a great poll, though. That w- they would have killed this fucking movie. Yeah, they would have killed it. Literally, literally, my last note is that the Code Brothers would have made this really fun. <laughs> but yeah, like as soon as okay. you said it, I see the movie in my head. As soon right? as you said it, I saw the movie in my head. I was like, oh my god, yeah, it'd be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> but just more colonizers, so it'll never happen. But it totally oh, should. They're Jewish. I mean, they're Jews, so are they considered part of the colonizer community? I don't know. I think they get kind of a pass on that. By technicalities, they can't be. I think they're in the clear, actually. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Didn't so, one of them um, become, like, another gender? Or No, no. that was the Matrix people. That was you're talking, well, actually, that was both of them. Actually, both the Wachowskis. Now, we, have, we used to call them the Wachowski brothers. Then they were the Wachowski siblings for a moment. And now that they're both transgender, now they're the Wachowskis. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Isn't there another Matrix coming? Yeah, Matrix 4. Uh, you know what they call Dude. <laughs> yeah. You know what the name of the new Matrix is? No. The Matrix Resurrections. Oh. I was like, what an awful title. Like, what are you doing? I thought, I thought, my money on it, because I, I was talking to my brother. I think we talked about it on, like, an old, like, Zoobox Live when we started doing live sh- stuff on the internet. I was like, dude, they're gonna. It should be like the the Matrix, like recoded. Like, how on the nose do you gotta be? The Matrix res- Resurrections. Yeah. yeah like yeah. this is like it's like a bad like a kids book, like a kids science fiction book. Yeah. You know what I'm but, saying? Like it's like the sixth in the series. They're like you know like uh, the Maze Runner. Fire fight. The Maze Runner Resurrections. I was like, what the fuck? But you know what, Paul? You know what's gonna be about? You know what the new Matrix is going to be about? No, tell me. Okay. I'm going to give you a broad stroke. This is my prediction for everybody. This is my guess. Broad stroke theme of the Matrix 4 Resurrections. Okay? You know the concept red pilling? That comes from the Matrix. That comes from the Matrix. They are going to retcon the Matrix to make that a bad thing. Gotcha. It's Come on! Probably it's probably on there. It's probably right there. Because if they're if they're resurrecting these old characters, they're going to have to reveal that it was all a facade. You weren't actually awake. You weren't as awake as you thought you were. God, you were tricked. You were tricked. Yeah, it's gonna be not good. But I. <laughs> And I want to like the Wachowskis. Like I like, I love Speed Racer, dude. I love, I like, you know, Cloud Atlas, which is maybe something we should do someday. It might be fun to do Cloud Atlas. 
you can stomach it. I don't want to watch that one again. Dude, Paul and I saw it in the theater. Not together, but we ended up just randomly, we saw it in the theater separately. And the, the, the takeaway from that movie, like the quote from that conversation is like, I wish I saw this when I was 14. It would have been the coolest movie ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows, man? Uh, a lot of things we've been revisiting. It's been fun to do so. Well, you know, that's another one that's got a book. You know, we could see. We could see. Maybe. That's I'm not true. I'm not gonna hold anybody to that. Do not look for a cloud atlas. Maybe two years from now. There's there's so many other well worth our time things to talk about before we get to Cloud Atlas, everybody. Okay. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, right, man. Well, you got me a little depressed on the you know the Matrix thing, so well, because you know I'm right. That's why. Because you're just like, fuck. Because you, you remembered. You're like, oh, fuck. That is where the red pilling term comes from. The Wachowskis, guess what, aren't very cool with how it's been repurposed. They've given interviews talking about that. I'm just like, oh, that's what this is going to be about. It's going to retcon the concept of the red pill and how that's actually a bad thing. And when you really look at it and you really get down, you get the information. Yeah, don't... Another level of the construct, dude. Listen, you know what they should have done from this goddamn start? We all knew it when we saw Matrix Reloaded, okay? You should have revealed... They should have revealed that the real world was also a part of the Matrix, and they didn't do it. So I guess here's their chance. There you go. Maybe, fucking Neo running around blowing up shit with his mind while he's blind and shit at the end of Matrix Revolutions. They should have just said, no, he's in the Matrix. They're still in the Matrix. I would have accepted that, but well, hopefully John Wick Four will bring the punch. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Uh, John Wick Three, my least favorite of the John Wick movies. So maybe they'll reclaim the throne of Four. I'd agree. I'd agree. But you know, I like One and Two almost equally. Dude, I think John Wick Two is the best one because it's the best mix of like lore and also just great choreography, great action scenes. I mean the tunnel scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, holy shit, dude! Like the whole that whole thing, or fighting common, which is yeah. <laughs> fighting common on the on the cobble streets there. They, it's fucking awesome. It's great. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate great. you talking to me. And uh, if you would like to know more about Zoobox, there's a bunch of links in the description. We cannot live stream on our main channel right now. We've been banned. Uh, I was attacked by a violent religious group <laughs> called abraham and uh they've they did a hard copyright strike on something that i and i can't really fight back youtube doesn't have my my back so there's an alternate youtube channel there's a d live channel we're over there where we can watch movies and shit on d live doing some live movie commentaries some live tv show commentaries over there if you guys would if you're interested in that you want to check that out i do it at the random so that's why it's so important to follow so I can get also get involved in this this lemon economy. Okay, they don't have money over there. You get these things called lemons, which is like a some sort of proprietary Bitcoin thing that you can cash out. But I gotta get two hundred followers on D Live before I can have access to the sweet lemon. So go over there. We watched the Crow City of Angels the other night, everybody. I mean, that's the kind of hot content you're gonna get over on D Live, baby. <laughs> the crow. Who doesn't want to watch the crow too? Keep me up to the night, dude. And I watched all of RoboCop, the animated series from 1988. 
also archived on our YouTube channel because for nobody gives a fuck about those copyrights. It's actually a sweet show. I'm not gonna lie. It was pretty good. <laughs> Alright everybody. Talk to you later. Thanks again, Paul. Thank you.